Good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Brian Nicolason. I uh, hope everybody's having a good week. Today is Wednesday, uh, February 21st, 2024. It's been 19 days since our last podcast, uh, 19 days, and the S&P 500 has not uh, really changed. It's uh, basically the same price it was about um, the early uh, the early days of February. Uh, the bond market has deteriorated a bit, and actually, uh, we had just had a really bad auction on 20-year treasuries. Uh, not a lot of uh, demand for these treasuries, and I think that story is going to be one that continues to resurface. Um, so, you know, again, not not a ton of action. We saw some ups. We we've seen a little bit of a deterioration in the market in the last few days. Um, Really, in the last week or so, <clears throat> you know, we've seen some issues in the market, and that's that has to do primarily with the inflation numbers that came out. We're going to talk about those inflation numbers a little bit later, um, but uh, you know, again, we're going to reserve judgment on inflation. I know we've been pretty adamant to say that the war against inflation is definitely not over. Uh, we may have won a battle or two battles, but this is going to be a long war, and. Uh, and again, one battle is not going to be the the decisive outcome. And I do think at the end of the day, inflation wins this war. Uh, I don't believe the United States is going to be able to tame inflation for the long term. Um, again, unless we see serious change to the federal government and the deficits that they're running. Uh, but again, if you are financing deficits the way that, that we are now going forward, uh, you know, by definition, if you're monetizing those those deficits through the Federal Reserve, then you're printing money into existence, and uh, and that will cause inflation. Uh, now, the other side of that is if you don't actually monetize the debt, and you actually just uh, you know let the let the debt out there into the marketplace, uh, the debt could be so overwhelming for the financial markets that it could actually crowd out most other private um, private business and private investment. And what it does is it really slows economies down. I mean, if you look at the two slowest growing economies in the developed world last year, they were Japan and Italy, right? And these are countries with massive debts. And again, if you let the debt get out of control, you know, eventually it just starts crowding out private investment and it starts slowing the economy down. Uh, it's kind of like carrying a big weight on your shoulders. So anyway, uh, that's just a little side note. And again, um, I am going to reserve judgment on inflation. My feeling is that it's not over. My feeling is that we're going to bottom, if not have already bottomed. But I think we're in a bottoming process. Um, you know, core PCE right now is 2.93%, but that's the very manipulated version of inflation. CPI, core CPI is 3.9%. So you're still double um, the Fed target if you're looking at CPI. If you decide to look at PC, then yeah, I mean, you're going to get a little bit of a lower number, but you just understand that that number is pretty manipulated by, you know, the federal government. So anyway, again, you know, we're still anywhere from 150 to 200% of the inflation target. And I do think that, that we're bottoming here. Um, and that could uh, send lots of different shockwaves into the, the financial markets that we need to be aware of and that, that we're monitoring very closely. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, not not to get too far into inflation just yet, I want to talk a little bit about the earnings season. Seventy nine percent of companies in the S and P five hundred have reported their results. Um, Seventy five percent of those that did report have beat their earnings, 
and 65% of the, the companies that were reported have beat their revenue estimates. Now, one thing you just got to understand first and foremost is that the estimates were very uh, low, <clears throat> kind of very minimal growth. I don't even know if you know, the estimate was for 0% growth year over year. So for the companies to beat those estimates, I mean, it was not a not a very heavy lift, if you will. Uh, but again, they did beat. The year-over-year -year earnings growth rate uh, was 3.2% for the S&P 500. The year-over-year -year revenue growth rate was 4%. Now, those growth rates and also the percentage by which they beat the projections are both below the five-year average, meaning, you know, really growth is slowing compared to the last five years. It's below average. Revenue is, is below average growth rate. Um, and remember, you know, when we look at revenue of the S&P 500, that's not inflation adjusted. So if you have inflation core CPI of 3.9% and your revenue growth is 4%, are you really growing? Right? I mean, are you growing just by 0.1%? I mean, in reality, you should be adjusting your growth rates by inflation, right? To get a real idea for what is what is growth. Uh, so again, I, I just, you know, we yes, we could be happy. Yes, 75% uh, of companies have beat their earnings estimates. Yes, the market is, is at an all-time high. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, revenue is slowing as a whole. Um, and, and it, again, in real terms, it's really not growing at all. Um, what I want to talk a little bit about is the difference between the MAG7 and, uh, you know, the 493 companies that are not part of that Magnificent 7 group, or you want to call them the Super 6 if you really hate Elon Musk and want to take him out of there, um, which seems like everybody does. That's kind of a separate story. We could talk about that. Uh, but, you know, in any in any event, I am a big fan of Elon. I think he's he's one of the best um, Americans we have uh, fighting for the freedoms that, you know, our forefathers uh, gave us, right, through the Declaration of Independence, these inalienable rights, right, unalienable rights that we have to freedom and the pursuit of happiness and uh seems like elon musk is the only person that cares about that <laughs> uh in in at least in in the uh the elites if you will so that's probably why he's he's under so much pressure um but anyway again if you just look at the mag 7 and then you include tesla um people say you know okay these companies are expensive our belief and we've advocated for ownership of these companies for many many years and we believe we'll, we'll be continuing to advocate for significant ownership in these companies moving forward. And the reason is these are the best companies in the world. Um, I don't know that there's ever been a time period where companies were so powerful and they had such an ability to, to grow revenue and to grow into new businesses horizontally, right? So... You look at Amazon, right? They, they touch so many different parts of the economy, whether that's commerce, e-commerce, or uh, cloud services, or even advertising now, right? It's a huge part of what they're doing. So, you know, again, they just keep expanding horizontally. Uh, they keep becoming more and more efficient. And, you know, they're generating a ton of cash. And the products that they're supplying are really staples, right? I mean, if you look at Google, for instance, you know, maybe... 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you can consider them maybe a pure growth company or something like that. But today, you know, Google is this wonderful hybrid 
of growth, but also staples, right? They're a tech company, but they're also a defensive company, right? I mean, what could you do without Gmail, right? What would you do without Google search? What would you do on Microsoft side without the Microsoft operating system, right? What would you do without your iPhone? <laughs> uh, I mean, all of these companies now supply products that are, are required uh, in the American way of life. And so as we slow the economy, which is clearly happening, I think, uh, what's wonderful about these companies is not only are they supplying products that will be used no matter what, right? Whether it's a recession or not, people are going to still buy their products. Their products are getting better. They're able to control their costs because they have so much cash on the balance sheet. Uh, they have so many people working there that they can lay off people if they need to. They can they can really go on these these ef operational efficiency um, expeditions, right, to, to create efficiency and to maintain margins. So they can manipulate their stock and their, their earnings to make sure they're always hitting numbers. They're always going to sell products no matter what happens. And they're always going to continue to expand without a reliance on the debt market. So in a rising interest rate environment where the economy is slowing and you have high inflation and the consumer has to choose and be more picky about what they're going to buy, these magnificent seven companies are better positioned than any other company by far. And that's why they're trading at a premium to the market. I mean, you know, the, the people always talk about, oh, the Mag 7, they're, they're too expensive, right? They're trading at 30 times forward earnings. And I would agree that that's pricey. Um, but what I like to look at is like your peg ratio. So take your price to earnings, but divide it by your growth rate, because that's going to put you a little bit more perspective around why you're paying this high premium. So if you look at the peg rate for the Mag 7 cumulatively, yes, they're trading at 30 times forward earnings, but the earnings estimate growth for 2024 is for 20% year over year. And I actually have no reason to believe that the Mag 7 is not going to hit that number. So if they grow profits by 20% and you're trading you know, they're trading for 30 times earnings, then 30 divided by 20 is 1.5. So their peg ratio is 1.5. If you take the other 493 companies and you look at the estimates for 2024 for growth, earnings growth, it's 6% instead of 20, right? So they're going to grow at 6%, hopefully. But they're, they're uh, trading at 18 times forward earnings. So their peg ratio is 18 divided by 6. It's 3 so in fact, even though the Mag 7 is more expensive, right, They're trading at 30 times earnings instead of 18 times for the other 493 companies in the S&P 500, they're actually half the price when you look at that PE, but you divide it by growth rates. And furthermore, I think that that, P, that peg ratio of 1.5 on the Mag 7 holds up. They might trade at 30 times earnings all year, maybe even more, uh, but they'll probably get that 20% growth. The 493, where the projections for 6% growth, um, I think it could be closer to 2% growth, in which case your peg ratio is 9 instead of 3. So you've got a real issue with a lot of parts of the stock market. Now, again, I'm not going to basket all that 493 together and say, well, there's no other you know, well-priced companies. I think there are well-priced companies, but I don't know that there are any companies as powerful as the Magnificent Seven, with the with the ownership that they have, right, uh, and and the brands that they have, so I actually uh, I'm going to highlight one of those Magnificent Seven companies at the end of the podcast, and it's a I got two new segments that um, I want to implement into each one of my podcasts. 
um, and I think they're going to be pretty good. So, um, well, why don't we do that first? Actually, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this. So again, the first segment that I'm going to start doing is I really want to look at individual companies, right? We buy, uh, you know, individual companies uh, on behalf of our clients through our managed accounts. And, um, you know, we recommend that they own these individual companies. And one of the companies that we have one of the largest weightings to in the portfolio is Meta, right? Meta is obviously part of the Magnificent Seven. We have significant weightings in, in all the Magnificent Seven, but um, Meta is, is one of our biggest holdings. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about why this company is so good. On top of the fact that just Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO and founder of Facebook, now Meta, is uh, an absolute animal, right? That he does not really care about how anybody feels. Um, he is ruthless. He has fired 25% of his staff uh, in the last 12 months. He laid off 21,000 employees. Uh, he does not care about uh, anybody, really. Uh, he's kind of robotic in that way. Uh, and whether or not you like him or not, I mean, again, I'm not a big fan of of him personally, uh, but he's an unbelievable leader of that company. And the company is absolutely crushing it. Um, the 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 average daily usership of, of the apps in, as part of the meta universe, so that's Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, those are through the roof, right? These growing every year. So usership is up. As much as people want to make fun of Facebook, they want to make fun of Instagram, they're still on it. They're still scrolling. And um, they've got this wonderful user uh, experience for, for the folks that are there. And they're able to drive a ton of advertising revenue because of that. And now with AI and what they're leaning into there, the advertisements are becoming even more powerful. Uh, they're becoming even more targeted. And uh, you know, the small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and large businesses that advertise on Meta are going to keep piling money there, um, especially as more and more people are advertising online. Uh, again, Facebook is the de facto recipient of that those advertising dollars. And again, no matter what happens in the economy, even if you have a recession, which again, we're not going to call that one way or the other at this point. But even if you have a slowdown, you know, I think the secular trends of, you know, online advertising from other from, you know, where previously those dollars were spent elsewhere. Uh, I think that's more powerful than a recession. And then on top of that, that just the market share capture that Facebook's going to have because they're executing um, and because they have the users and the user growth, they just become this de facto recipient and beneficiary of uh, those trends. So again, if you look at their revenue from 2022 to 2023, it's up 15%, right? Uh, net margin expanded by 10%. So it was around 18%. Now it's up to 28%. So they're generating for the last three years, on average, 28% uh, free cash flow um, relative to their revenue. So, you know, they're just crushing it, right? They bring in $100, they get to keep $28 of it, return it to shareholders through stock buybacks, now a dividend, right, that they just put in place. Um, they are absolutely crushing it. They're expanding their margins. Um, they're expanding their revenue, expanding their market share, you know, and cutting costs. And I think the only thing that stops them from continuing this trajectory, you know, is interference by, you know, the FTC or some type of exogenous impact. Because again, the endogenous impacts, I don't believe are there. I think that this company, along with most of the MAG-7, are going to continue to 
really uh, take advantage of secular changes uh, in the marketplace and I, and I, you know relating to AI, etc. And I just think that uh, these are companies you want to own. These are companies that can you know give you that double digit growth um, you know every year. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, you want to continue to own these companies. So again, that's just a little highlight on meta. And again, this is going to be like our company highlight section. I haven't really come up with a name for it yet, but, um, you know, we're going to keep doing that and we'll, we'll cover all the stocks in the portfolio, right? I mean, we do an incredible amount of research, uh, incredible amount of due diligence on these companies before we, uh, recommend our clients own them. And, uh, you know, the companies that we hold, we believe in for the long term. And, uh, and, and so again, we, we kind of want to share that research with you. Uh, on each of these podcasts. So that's my first little um, section. Uh, just a few other items. Let me let's, let me think about this. Um, all right, we'll go to our next segment. And this one's going to be called Dumb Commentary, right? Because I listen to an incredible amount of talking heads, right? Whether that's CNBC, which is on all day at the office here, um, or just the, the endless amount of, of, uh, you know, financial analysts and, uh, just, you know, financial technicians and market technicians and, and economists that I listen to, uh, through YouTube, through their sub stacks, through some of the blogs that I read. I mean, we're just absorbing as much information at all times to really understand what's going on. And I, and I'm constantly hearing commentary that, from different people, and I'm not going to name names in this in this section unless you know, uh, unless they're a politician or something, or or a very famous person on CNBC or something that I can they can touch on. But the you know the individual uh, financial advisors that I listen to, I'm not going to name their names. But some of the commentaries that they make sometimes are so misleading and so missing of information that if you just listen to it at its face, uh, you would you know, believe what they're saying, but in reality, they're incredibly wrong. So again, we're going to call it dumb commentary or something. I don't know. I got to come up with a name, but, um, the first one was, I was listening to a, uh, a guy talk and, you know, we've, we've been accused a little background on this. You know, we've been accused of being bearish at points, uh, over the last, you know, 10 years. And, you know, we have, right. We've been bearish at different points, but we've also been very bullish at different points. Uh, you know, in fact, we're, 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 you know, cautiously bullish right now. Uh, what we don't appreciate generally is what I call blind bulls, right? These are people that, you know, are just bullish all the time. Uh, they're bullish all the time for the wrong reasons. They they are just bullish because they feel that that's the best thing to do uh, for their own business, right? For their own pocket. They don't really care what happens to clients. These are the same financial advisors that drove their clients' portfolios down 40, 50% in 2008, right? These are not the saviors of the world. Uh, these are folks that have just been, been, you know, they've been bullish and they've been rewarded for that, no doubt about it, because, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, M2 growth, basically, money growth. And so asset prices have gone up. Uh, but the blind bulls, to me, are the ones you want to be careful of. Uh, you know, again, we are bullish, right? I really, I just laid out a case for why, I think Meta will go up for the foreseeable future. You want to you want to own that for the long term, um, but what we're not going to do is just be blindly bullish about everything. The gentleman that I'm talking about, he showed a chart that said it was basically earnings growth versus uh, prices, 
and you know they were overlaid on a chart and they matched up perfect for the last 40 years so basically you know there, there's times where price got a little bit ahead of the earnings growth or times where earnings growth got a little ahead of price but in reality it was like a just a line left to right right a few ups and downs but the lines really were, were right next to each other and his point was saying you know hey i hate when people say that uh you know things have been manipulated that it's because uh, quantitative easing, it's because the federal government's intervened in lowering interest rates, and, and it's all fake, and it's all manipulated. And he was throwing you know, shade at some of the more bearish or more cautious people in the market. And he was saying, listen, it has nothing to do with that, right? You didn't need any of that. It was just all about earnings. Well, you want to pull your hair out when you listen to a commentary like this, because what the part that he's missing is that, yes, it's about earnings. Yes, I've never doubted that if earnings are going to go up, price is going to go up. The, but the but the other part of the story is why are earnings going up? <laughs> earnings are going up because of government intervention, right? If it was not for you know during COVID, printing six trillion dollars and injecting it into the financial markets, um, you would have had slower economic growth. You would have had slower, uh, you know, profits, right? The profits would have grown at the same pace that they did, and. Uh, and again, price wouldn't have gone up. So so you just can't say that, oh, it has nothing to do with the government intervention. It has everything to do with government intervention. The government has been, since 2008, um, watching the stock market very closely and injecting money where they need to. And the result is now that we've had this massive inflation shock. And it has come from 2008. This is not new. This was part of the 2008 bailout that we're experiencing right now. You know, in 2008, when that bailout happened, uh, the assets that were printed went into the banking system. From there, they got lent to people. From there, they got spent on financial assets. From there, asset prices went up. Those assets were then held for a decade, for 15 years. And then they were sold. And then they used the proceeds from that sale to buy products and services, right? A lot of that is baby boomers, right? So baby boomers had this accumulation of their portfolios from 2008 to 2022, right? And now as baby boomers start to retire, that spending is really coming into the market. But again, that was a process that took almost 15 years. And so the idea that the printing of money and the injecting of $9 trillion of liquidity into the capital markets did not cause the inflation, right? Or did not cause the inflation in asset prices, which again, even if you don't believe that inflation of asset prices cause in regular inflation of prices in the supermarket, you know, take that aside. But just if you want to talk about stock prices, there is no doubt that the federal government and their interventions in the capital markets and in the interest rate environment led to asset prices going up. Now, again, that's correlated with earnings. But the earnings were going up for those same reasons. Okay, um, so anyway, long story short, right? And by the way, that's also inflationary, right? Earnings go up during an inflationary time period. So uh, again, I just think that you don't want to just be blind and say, well, the, it, what the government does doesn't matter. It's all about you know this this wonderful U.S. economy that's just chugging along, and and companies are just growing profits. Uh, notwithstanding what the government does. Again, I think you want to be very careful about that because the government and what they do is the single most important driver of profits, of economic growth, and 
you know, of, of asset prices. The second piece um, that I want to talk about is just a little bit about inflation. And, and it's, again, part of this dumb commentary section as well. Um, the consumer is definitely under pressure, right? It, it's obviously the lower end consumer is always a little bit under more pressure than, than the rest of the consumers. But if you stack inflation on food and shelter, you know, look, January inflation on food was 5% annually, annualized. Shelter inflation in January was 7.5% annualized. So we started these massive inflation numbers in 2022. It's 2024. And we still have 5% on food, 7.5% on shelter. So you're talking three years of 7 to 10% inflation on average. Uh, and if you stack it all and compound it all, you know, the inflation on food and shelter, which if you're a low income person, that makes up 60, 70% of all your, your budget. Uh, that's up about 30%. And so again, how is it possible that if you're a consumer and you spend 70% of your budget on food and shelter and the price of food and shelter is up 30%, um, how are you affording to stay in business here, right? I mean, how, how is he, how are you doing it? Well, you're, you're not, right? It's the answer. You're decreasing your standard of living. And this actually goes to what uh, Biden was talking about. And even Jim Cramer, both of these guys made some comments over the last week that are pertaining to this, what they call shrinkflation, right? That it's, it's, and, and the, the inability to grasp and understand how this works is just fascinating to me. So Jim Cramer actually this morning uh, was talking about how Costco and Walmart are telling companies to lower their prices. So Walmart says, hey, if you want to sell your products at our stores, keep your prices down. Don't raise them. Okay. Well, if you're a company, let's say you're Pepsi, Coca-Cola, whatever, uh, and your costs are going up, and then Walmart says, hey, either, you know, go pound salt or keep your prices low, but you can't raise them. And not if you want to sell them here at Walmart. What are you forced to do? You're forced to reduce the quality and the quantity of your items. So, okay, Walmart, no problem. You don't want me to, you know, raise the price of this bag of chips? Well, we're just going to put less chips in there, right? Or we're going to use uh, cheaper ingredients, right? But you have to drive costs down if you can't drive price up, right? So what happens is you have this shrinkflation. Um, Biden made a big deal, posted about it, and he said, listen, all you companies that are doing this shrinkflation, uh, you're evil and don't do it, right? Now, the irony is, if they don't do it, if they take him at his word and they listen to him, then they're going to have to raise prices, right? They're only doing this shrinkflation because they don't want to raise prices, right? So instead of raising prices, they just decrease the quantity in the bag of chips or they decrease the quality. But the other option is raise prices. Uh, now, Biden is benefiting, by the way, from shrinkflation. So him calling on these companies to stop the practice is ironic because, again, this process allows inflation to be understated, right? So if a bag of chips is the same price as it was a year ago, then that doesn't increase the CPI. Now, needless to say, you know, the quality of those chips has gone down, but the CPI doesn't capture that in many cases. And so what's happening is you're seeing inflation, but it's not showing up in the report. So again, if if Biden really wants this process to stop <clears throat> and he wants companies to just raise prices, well, then the CPI number is going to go out of control. 
so, you know, I, I think he needs to be careful what he's wishing for. Um, but what I really think this does is it, it affects your discretionary spending as an American, right? If your food and your shelter is up 30%, um, you know, you just have less money. You know, I mean, it's evident. You could look at Sonos, right? I mean, uh, I've used the Sonos uh, home surround system. I have a Bose system. I love it. Uh, but, you know, I've used Sonos and like Airbnbs and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just like nice quality sound systems, um, you know, whole house surround sound systems. And I'm sure they're like, you know, $2,000 for the whole for the whole bit. Um, they're down 55%. Their stock price down 55% from the peak. And they're saying, well, we're in a down cycle for home entertainment. Well, yeah, you're in a down cycle. You're going to be in a down cycle forever. Who's going to afford to put a $2,000 sound system in an apartment that the apartment's rent is up 30 40%, right? And and the food that they're putting on the table is up 30 40%. You have no money. You don't have a, a Sonos sound system being installed, right? Um, so this whole idea is that inflation is not gone. It's, I think, bottoming, right? And, and again, if, if these companies stop with the shrinkflation process, right, or the decrease in quality process, then CPI is going to go through the roof. Uh, I think we really need to be aware of that. Now, one more item on the, the dumb commentary, and then we'll, we'll shut it down for today. Um, Austin Goolsby, one of the uh, Fed governors, uh, I forget which um, Fed bank he's, he's the president of, but he's one of the Fed governors. He's a, I think he's a voting member, but he's always on CNBC. And, um, and he's not the only person that does this, by the way. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that say this stuff. But his comments were that, okay, we're in a very historically tight, you know, uh, historically we're, we're running a very tight monetary policy, right? They all want to convince us that they've got this really tight monetary policy going on. Um, but they don't, right? And he says, well, real rates are really high. And I got to push back on that a little bit. I mean, the 10-year treasury is 4.2, 4.3, depending on the day. And core CPI is 3.9. So you're running a real interest rate on 10-year treasury of 40 basis points, 30 basis points, not even a full percent. Meaning if you buy, if you loan money to the government, you loan them $10,000 for 10 years, you're getting inflation plus 0.3%. You're making 0.3%. I mean, this is insane. That's not a tight monetary policy. Um, the neutral rate of interest is one of these things that really, I think it's just a way of the Fed trying to confuse us all, right? Because they say, oh, we need to, we need to be at a, a, a neutral rate of interest. What's neutral? Well, neutral, in my mind, should be real rates of, you know, at least 3 4%, right? I mean, if you have inflation at 2 you know, you should, then neutral should be 5 maybe 6 right? I mean, heck, you want to make 3 to 4% on a risk-free rate. I mean, otherwise, why do it? Why wouldn't you just buy stocks? I mean, it's just not worth it. So, you know, neutral, again, if inflation was 2 then neutral rate should be like 6 in my mind. Uh, I think that would make sense. It would entice people to loan money to the U.S. government, that's for sure. Uh, but if inflation's four, then neutral rate should be eight. So if the 10-year treasury is at like 4.2, uh, you know, and the two-year treasuries are up around five, or the one-year rather, you know, Fed funds rate is like five, five and a quarter. 
five and three eighths, I think it is. You know, they're still three percent below neutral in my mind. Uh, but the idea again is that they have to start tricking us and telling us, oh, we're, we've got this tight monetary system because they need to start cutting. Uh, they need to start cutting, or the the economy will roll over. Um, but uh, anyway, again, I just think it's such a silly comment to say that we have a tight monetary. But how do we have a tight monetary policy? You you, you have inflation at four percent, and you have your Fed funds rate at five and three eighths. Oh, you got one and three eighths interest rate, real rate. That's not tight. <laughs> That's not even neutral. That's ridiculous. That's like no interest, right? One and three eighths. Who cares about that, right? Um, so again, it's just this this idea uh, that they're just trying to pull the wool over your eyes. But as an investor, what you need to do is, you know, you just need to look at the companies that you're investing in. Um, I don't care what happens to the consumer. They are still going to scroll Instagram. And as long as they can scroll Instagram, then you're going to have advertisers flocking there. Uh, and by the way, you know, look, if unemployment rises, they'll have more time to sit on Instagram. So again, Meta, the company that we talked about today, but a lot of companies that we talk about, you know, we really like them. Uh, we think they're great companies. Obviously, investing in that is a decision that's personalized. This is not an investment recommendation. Um, you know, you always want to make sure it, it fits within your risk profile uh, before you make any of those decisions. But again, just want to give you that that outlook. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, look, invest in good companies, but understand, look on the horizon and look at what the U.S. economy is going through. It's going through a debt cycle where the federal government is adding 7% of GDP in deficits every year, and that's going to keep growing, and interest rates are going to keep rising, and inflation is going to keep rising, uh, and we've got real pain ahead, um, and it's going to be about how the Fed and the federal government can uh, insulate us from that pain and how long that that painkiller or that insulation is going to last. Okay. Thank you all for joining. If you're a client, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. If you're not a client yet, head to freedomandwealthusa.com. Put in your information. You know, let us do a financial plan for you. Show us our, your, uh, show you our investment portfolio. Um, and uh, yeah, see where we land. I'll call you directly if you do that. All right. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. The information on this podcast is educational in nature and is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, or other purpose. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of subjects discussed. The information provided should not be considered tax or legal advice. Discussions and answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice and is limited to the dissemination of general information and may not be suitable for members of the listening audience. It should not be construed by any consumer as solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of advisory services offered through Redwood Private Wealth. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should always seek advice from a financial insurance, legal, or tax professional it takes into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation.